Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Laura Brodnick and I'm joined again by... Claire Stevens. I am one of the hosts of Cancelled, one of Mamma Mia's new podcasts, and I also love The Spill, so I'm joining for a second day in a row to fill in for the brilliant Key Reese. Claire just had to come back for Emmys because she knows some crazy things happen, some dramatic things happen. We've got issues with a few moments. There were some moments that brought us to tears, so we're going to have a big debrief on the Emmys at the end of the show. But first, the entertainment news headline of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. So just one little bit of news before we kick into our Emmys special of the day, and that's that Princess Beatrice, who is the daughter of Prince Andrew, awkward, and Sarah Ferguson, has given birth to her first child. So Buckingham Palace announced in a statement that the baby girl was born at 11.42pm on Saturday at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London. So a statement from the palace said, the new baby's grandparents and great-grandparents have all been informed and are delighted with the news, which of course they're not going to say they're upset about the news. No name has been announced yet but I'm sure we'll find out in the coming week. As with any red carpet, most of our social media feeds yesterday were littered with photos of what all the celebrities were wearing at the Emmys. Here at Mamma Mia, we don't do best and worst red carpet moments, but there are lots of other outlets who do. And even if you weren't seeking out those outlets, there were probably two looks that you couldn't help but see. One was The Crown's Emma Corrin. Just as a note, Emma identifies non-binary and she uses the pronouns she and they, so we might oscillate between those. Their outfit was described as a full-body monochromatic outfit complete with a swim cap, hair covering and long gloves topped off with claw-like black nails for an instantly iconic ensemble. I'd just like to pause and say that her outfit was bizarre. It was very, very strange and I think that she got kind of recognised as somebody who was cutting edge on the red carpet for a few other reasons. But before we get into that, there was also the Queen Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy, whose outfit was described as a white Christian Dior dress with a dramatic yellow shawl. She wore her hair up in an elegant bun and accessorised with Tiffany & Co jewellery. The cut wrote of Taylor-Joy yesterday, I'm not entirely convinced that Anya Taylor-Joy is of this earth. She looks like a gazelle and a mannequin had the most beautiful baby. What's interesting about both of these looks is that my first reaction when I saw them was, I don't think either of these looks are about the clothes that they're wearing. I think they are about the bodies that are wearing them. I think that that's what these comments are really about. So only very few women ever get described like this. They walk out onto a red carpet and instantly the look is iconic and it's a moment. And the names that come to mind for me are people like Kendall Jenner and Hayley Bieber. And it's often women who are impossibly thin. I thought we had moved 
away from this a little bit, especially with some of the really bold fashion moments from the VMAs and the Met Gala last week. But while you have both Emma Corrin and Anya Taylor-Joy's outfits described instantly as iconic, the commentary around actor A.D. Bryant's outfit was that she looked like she was involved in some kind of sketch. And A.D. Bryant is not straight-sized and her dress is gorgeous. It was green and it had flowers on it and she looked really, really cute and she had this gorgeous headband and I thought that it was a stunning look. But it just goes to show that if a body doesn't conform to what we think it should on a red carpet, we have very different commentary on what that outfit looks like. What are your thoughts on this, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I think with Emma Corrin, their dress a little bit made headlines because of the bonnet and nail feature. But I think that we accepted that more because it was fitted on such a slim body. Whereas we know that someone like A.D. Bryant is always on the worst dress list, no matter what she wears. And it comes down to her size, whether people can admit that or not. It's just this really ingrained sense of thin privilege that we all have in us. And it's the same thing that like Tess Holiday gets when she walks the red carpet or Melissa McCarthy in the past. I mean, who can forget that iconic moment when Tess Holiday wore that strawberry dress to an award show, was on the top of every worst dress list, and then the dress went viral on TikTok with thin women wearing it, and all of a sudden was the dress of the year to have in 2020. And I think we saw that in play a little bit on the red carpet at the Emmys, but not as much because the plus-size women didn't make any of the galleries. Like Websites didn't show their photos this year. They weren't up on any of the social media feeds. They didn't make the Emmys list. So it's like that side of the red carpet was happening, but we were only seeing the really thin women. And even with Anna Taylor-Joy's dress, I mean, obviously she's an amazing actress, but sites like Diet Parada really zeroed in on the detail of the dress. And it was like poorly fitted, like it was popping off at the sides, the seams weren't done properly. And there was this idea that like if it wasn't on such a thin body, that would have been a misfire just because it was fitted badly, but because it was her, it was on the top of every best dress list. Exactly. And I think that imagery that we seem to have when we describe these women, like even the cut describing her as a gazelle, I'm like, there's very few women that, that you're able to describe as a gazelle. And she is obviously one of them. And I think it's her model-esque stature that means that anything she puts on looks high fashion to us because that's the only people we've ever seen high fashion on. And there's this trend, I'm sure you're familiar with it, Laura, that I noticed on TikTok last year for the first time, which was, is it fashion or is she just skinny? And it's a whole lot of outfits and it gets you to pause and think, if you saw this on another body, would you actually think that it's amazingly fashionable? Or are you just thinking that because of this person's body? And I just think that in many of these cases, you look at Emma Corrin, And you go, if that outfit was on another body, it would have been a much more brutal joke than what it was yesterday. Oh, exactly. There would be more people likening it to American Horror Story like we slightly did yesterday, more so than The Handmaid's Tale because they would have been that horror factor. I mean, it comes down to the fact too that they just aren't plus-sized or straight-sized women on the red carpet really because they don't get cast in TV shows so they don't get nominated and therefore they're not invited. And so one side of it is a lot of outlets giving their media attention to the people that were nominated. But then you have big stars like Beanie Feldstein who was there who's making this huge splash in impeachment at the moment and all the talk around her dress was that it was way too casual for the award show even though it was a sparkly metallic number and she had her hair all zhuzhed up and she was wearing high heels. But I think because she is a plus 
plus size actress. I mean, you've got to think of a thin body had worn that. If Anna Taylor-Joy had come in in a sparkly metallic dress with a collar, everyone would have been like, she looks so chic and like she looks so pared down and youthful. But because Beanie Feldstein was wearing it, like I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing about this, but I mean, we're sick of talking about it as well. Mm. But it just keeps coming up every award show that she was deemed too casual for the event. And you've got to think it comes back to her body. I completely agree. And I think... Yesterday was a bit of a sad reminder that we're still stuck in that spot. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there were like so many amazing looks on the red carpet. We don't want to take away from that. And I think a lot of people were very excited to even see a red carpet. And there are a lot of jokes that because it was being held in a tent, everyone should have dressed down. Like a lot of the more kind of upper crust film journalists were like, oh, it looks like a bunch of people in prom dresses going to a backyard barbecue. Like their stylist should have done better. And I was like, please shut up. I just want to see big dresses. I just want to see diamonds. I just want to see people wearing ridiculous clothes. I prefer it on all different body types, but I don't care that it was in a tent per se. I just want to see some good dresses. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favorite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Well, in a surprising turn of events, yesterday's Emmy Awards actually rebounded from last year's all-time low ratings with a 16% rise from the show last year. Again, because I think, as we were just saying, people just wanted to see some glitz and glamour and all their celebrities packed in the same room, even though that went across health guidelines, but that's nothing for us to talk about right now. So The Crown, unsurprisingly, was one of the big winners of the night and swept every major category in its genre. So it pretty much did what Schitt's Creek did last year on the comedy side. And speaking of the comedy categories, Ted Lasso from Apple TV was one of the big winners of the night, followed by Hacks, which you can watch on Stan. We had, you know, a lot of diverse winners in the mix there, but pretty much it all came down to The Crown, Ted Lasso and Hacks as the shows of the night. But there were a few really big surprising moments, some big emotional moments I think we would have lost if they'd been on Zoom. So kicking off with the one that everyone is talking about, which I think everyone was so excited to see, was Michaela Cole making Emmy's history. So she's the creator, writer, and star of I May Destroy You, and she became the first black woman ever to take home the top honour for writing in a limited series category, and this is what she said in her speech. Write the tale that scares you, that makes you feel uncertain, that isn't comfortable. I dare you. In a world that entices us to browse through the lives of others to help us better determine how we feel about ourselves, and to, in turn, feel the need to be constantly visible, for visibility these days seems to somehow equate to success. Do not be afraid to disappear from it, from us, for a while and see what comes to you in the silence. So she finished by dedicating her limited series win to all sexual assault survivors because obviously the series was based on her own sexual assault. She wrapped up the whole thing in 53 seconds. It was amazing to watch that and that was probably one of the big emotional moments of the night. The whole audience was on their feet. People were clapping and screaming and social media lit up as soon as she won. It was a bit disappointing that she didn't have a bit more of a clean sweep. People were saying like if Phoebe Waller-Bridge had been in that situation as someone who wrote a show 
directed it, created it, starred in it, she would have had more a sweep across the acting and series category. So it was a little bit disappointing. It only won the writing award, but still a really good step forward. I think that speech was the biggest testament to why she won the writing award. Like it was just so inspiring to listen to those words. And you're so right that she got it across in a really short period of time before the music cut her off, which, I mean, we'll get to that. We'll (laughs) get to that when the music cuts you off. I agree that it was a bit of a shame that there wasn't more of a clean sweep for her and it wasn't more of her night, I guess. The show whose night it seemed to be was Mayor of Town. So Evan Peters won Best Supporting Actor in a limited series or movie and Julianne Nicholson won Best Supporting Actress in the same category. And both of their speeches were hilarious in referencing Kate Winslet. So Evan Peters just yelled this thank you to Kate Winslet that I feel like we all want to thank Kate Winslet. For being Kate Winslet, yeah. <laughs> and I want to thank Kate Winslet for being Kate Winslet. When he did that, it was very um in line with the eccentricity of his character in the show which I really enjoyed and then Julianne Nicholson she said that Kate Winslet was good at acting which I like that she really put it that simply because it's very true and she said you led each of us with such care and intelligence and love and if you hadn't called and asked if I wanted to join you in Philly I probably would have read the first two episodes thought nah the priest did it and stayed home so I owe this to you I thought that was hilarious because I was like yeah we all did think the priest did it didn't we and it wasn't that was a really exciting moment and I also loved seeing Kate Winslet win best actress because it was a woman who's a little bit older who has a whole lot of experience and who is just such a juggernaut and I think Mayor of Easttown was such a lockdown distraction for so many people that it was really vindicating to see that. Yeah, and speaking of women who were excited to see win, I think Jean Smart winning for Hacks was also a real... I mean, it was one of the awards that was locked. People knew she was going to win, so it wasn't a surprise. But I think she's had such an illustrious career. And then she's just so good in Hacks if you haven't watched it on stand. It is such a career-defining role that it was so great to see her win and also really kind of heartbreaking to see her thank her late husband who passed away just before she started filming the show, which kind of gives an extra layer to her performance. And the other big award that we wanted to talk about, which I'm surprised more people aren't talking about. It is the biggest award of the night, really, that a single person can win, and that is the Governor's Award, which is just for an overall contribution to television across many decades. It's kind of like a Lifetime Achievement Award. And this year, it went to Debbie Allen for all her work in, she's done everything, actress, writer, producer, director, dancer, choreographer. She's also really been lauded as one of the women in the industry who has just really pulled up other women with her. She gives so many jobs to marginalised artists. Her award was presented by Ava DuVernay, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Michael Douglas, and of course, Ellen Pompeo. So Grey's Anatomy fans would know she directs Grey's Anatomy now. She's also one of the lead actresses on the show. She does everything. And she just got up and gave this emotional speech. And when the camera swapped across the crowd, you just saw all these actors and actresses of colour just weeping that she was up on stage, people applauding her. And it was this huge, big moment. I don't know if it was picked up by the press as much but I was just thought like this is the moment of the night like it's all kind of culminated in this moment for her and I was like this is what the Emmys should be about. I am trembling with gratitude and grace I'm trying not to cry and be equal to the situation because it's been many years in the making it's taking a lot of courage to be the only woman in the room most of the time a lot of courage and creativity and fight and faith 
to believe that I could keep going, and I have. And I brought a whole lot of people with me, so I want to say thank you for this glorious moment in the sun. Honey, turn that clock off. I ain't paying no attention to it. Turn it off. Turn it off. I encourage you to go listen to her full acceptance speech. She was like, turn that clock off. This is my moment. And her speech is so worth listening to. But then the awkward thing is that obviously somebody like Debbie Allen does that. And she's like, turn the clock off. I have some things to say. And everyone's like, all right, we're sitting down. We're ready for you to say these things. But then there's Scott Frank. Scott Frank won the award for directing for a limited or anthology series or movie for The Queen's Gambit. And Scott gets up and he starts speaking and the music starts playing and he gets pissed off. And it is the single most cringeworthy and uncomfortable thing I have seen in such a long time because he wasn't joking. He was actually pissed off at the music and he was like, stop the music, cut the music. And then they cut it. And then he kept going and then they started playing it again and he got pissed off again and it was horrible. (laughs) It was just very indulgent. And I was torn between, you know what, he's probably worked really hard and the Queen's Gambit was great and he just has a lot of things he wants to say. But I was also thinking, mate, like you're listing all these people and nobody knows who they are. Also, the Queen's Gambit is winning plenty and you've got other opportunities to say this. But that was my worst of the evening. I just wanted to vomit watching that. It was horrible. Exactly. Like this is Debbie Allen's one big moment in the sun of her like Lifetime Achievement Award. Give her the time. If Michaela Cole can do hers in 53 seconds after she made exactly. a show about her sexual assault, you, sir, can keep yours to a timely one minute. Especially because people were saying the way he started talking about Anya Taylor Joy in the show it's like did you watch the show that you made because he kind of really veered off track it was very strange but uh to be an entitled man just being like you know what you will all wait for me even though we're on a timed broadcast I would like to just put on the record that I thought the kind of entertainment bit of it was good Cedric the Entertainer did this intro where they were all singing that song about TV TV, you got what I need it was so beautiful but then look Cedric he didn't thrive in every skit because he then did another one about that Mike Pence fly joke the fly that landed on Mike Pence's head and it was the most bizarre thing because I was like I read an analysis of it that said it feels like we haven't talked about that joke in years even though it only happened 10 months ago and I was like yeah true I haven't thought about like you don't just reference a joke from a really long time ago and then he made a weird there was a weird line about all flies matter and I was like is that all lives matter and that's super inappropriate given the context it wasn't right and I think the lesson from that is less bits more just getting through the awards 10 months is too long to hold on to a joke that's why like notoriously the Oscars and the Golden Globes the Emmys are still rewriting on the day because they're trying to put current jokes in so that was a bit of a miss and speaking of misses and I mean I know we've talked about this a bit at the top of the show the kind of really big takeaway from this is that Emmys So White is trending as a bit of a nod to Oscars So White that happened a few years ago and why that's trending is that because even though it was a record year for diverse nominations across all fields 
all the winners in the major acting categories were all white. That's been traced back to the fact that people are saying, well, Ted Lasso was the big comedy and Hacks was the big comedy winner and The Crown, how could you go past The Crown, which is about the British monarch and they are a white family. So we're kind of hedged into this storytelling element. And I think no one needs us to say why that's so problematic. I think we all know. But now an interesting conversation has really popped up today, especially among people who work in those industries. And now there's a bit of a push for shows like The Crown to withdraw themselves from the Emmy nominations next year, because they're saying like, Netflix is an absolute juggernaut. Like they made it their big thing to win awards, to win Oscars, to separate themselves. But this year, no network shows really won any of the big awards except for a few of the variety specials. It was completely dominated by streamers, by Netflix in particular, and by Apple. And everyone's like, okay, you proved your point. You threw your money around. You won everything. Now will you withdraw from the competition? Which I don't think they will. But imagine if all those big shows did say, like, we're not going to submit our tapes and see what actually bubbles to the surface if all those other shows that are waiting in the wings that don't get that prestige element will then come in. Like, is that the only way to fix the problem? I'd really love to see that. Imagine going into an Emmys, not knowing actually who was going to win and having a whole new range of talent to celebrate. That's so true that you say that because it was only a few years ago that people were a bit unsure about where all the content out of streaming services was going to land. Was it going to translate into the Emmys world. And now not only is it translated, it's totally dominated. And it just doesn't even seem like a fair competition anymore because it's all anybody's watching. And it's that idea like, did we only have three shows come out in the last year? The Crown, Hacks, Ted Lasso, pretty much. Like that's what it feels like, especially because they've changed how um, they vote for the Emmys. Like they've obviously brought more people into the fold, but it used to be you send in one episode, whereas now you send in a couple of episodes. So they were hoping that would kind of give more people a chance to shine, but it's still come down to this one little pool of actors, which it kind of does matter because the shows everyone's talking about today are those three shows. So it's kind of, yeah, a real disparity there. But yeah. You know, overall, I've got to say, it was nice to have the Emmys back. It really I don't mind being a bit vapid. I want to see some hot celebrities in nice dresses give Sappy Awards speeches. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. And also, we have so much Emmys coverage on Mamma Mia, so head to mamamia.com.au if you want to read even more analysis. And of course, while you're listening, please follow us on The Spill, leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think. Thank you, Claire, so much for joining us for these last two days. No worries. It was a pleasure. This episode of The Spill was produced by myself, Laura Brodnick, and Madeline Joannou, with audio production by Leah Porges. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.